Since Chris led worship last, a few things have changed in his life. Uh, buddy, tell me, uh, days and nights figured out? Well, pretty, pretty okay. <laughs> pretty okay? Pretty okay. I've uh, heard of worse. You've heard of worse? I've heard of worse. All right. Yeah, Okay, uh, people still bringing you lots of food? Yes. All right. Yeah, we're uh -huh. good. Lots of visitors. If anybody has them come to visit, feel free. We're right around the corner. All right, very good. For those of, <laughs> of y'all who don't know, uh, Chris and Miranda had their second child, Zeke, about a week and a half ago, I guess, right? So congratulations to y'all. Very good. All right, well, I, I, I'm going to kind of kick into gear here tonight and get us going. Just to, I'm a history buff. If you didn't know that, I love history. If I'm up late at night, I will watch something, usually on the History Channel, if sports are over. I'll watch something to kind of kick in. So I, I, I need your, I, I don't know, do a little experiment tonight. I want you to tell me, tell me what you know about, who, first of all, who's this guy? Napoleon. Napoleon, Napoleon Bonaparte, uh, I guess, or Dynamite, or whatever his name is. But Napoleon. <laughs> Maybe a little different between the two. Napoleon, tell me what you tell me what you know about Napoleon. Short. Short. What else? Waterloo. Waterloo. What's that? He was on Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. That is what he's known for the most. I have some, no, maybe not. All right. Uh, Napoleon was from France. Uh, what would he, he wanted to conquer the world. That was kind of his goal, to conquer the world. Uh, Y'all all said it, except for one of you. I heard this. Everybody said he was short. Well, he was 5'2", but he was 5'2", in French measurement of the day. And we use English measurement or imperialistic measurements, which would have made him 5'7", and we all know that's plenty tall, right? Uh, but in his day, 5'7 was uh, about average height for a man in France. So, so really, we've heard all our life that he was short, but he really wasn't that short. Happens a lot in our life. We hear things so much that we believe they've got to be true, so much so that everybody knows that they're true. But there's a lot of areas of our life that this happens. Uh, uh, it's, uh, we've heard all our life, don't give your kids sugar at night. So when you go out there, don't get the Kool-Aid stuff because you know they'll be bouncing. Because that's what we've heard. You give your kids Kool-Aid, you give them sugar, they're candy, they're bouncing off the wall. But did you know that absolutely uh, there's no truth to that? 23 studies in the uh, American uh, Journal of American Medical Association uh, the last few years have concluded that sugar has absolutely zero effect on behavior. I thought that was odd. But we've heard that so much that we believe it. Because, like, this was done in conjunction with a couple of those studies. They gave kind of like a, a, what they called a sugary-laced drink to a bunch of mothers with boys. You know, because boys, it affects more, apparently. They gave a uh, sugary-laced drink to uh, uh, with boys. Or they told them it was, but it actually was sugar-free and they told them it was filled with sugars and they asked the mothers how did it affect your kids and 100 percent of them said it made my children wild the truth is uh sugar might make your kids dumb but it won't make them wild according to studies is what it tells us so if you bring your kids to candy on the corner do the, so at your own risk this week but anyhow uh speaking of fall we've always heard that if you go outside with like a wet head you've heard this you go outside with your hair wet you're going to get sick Especially when it's a little cooler. One, I'm never worried about this. But for those of y'all who do worry about this, there's absolutely no truth to it. 
They, they say that it, it, it really doesn't matter. If you get chilled, it doesn't matter whether your hair's wet or you're not. It, it, you might get chilled quicker, but once you get chilled, it doesn't really matter. Uh, they say it doesn't affect, and I, that's weird because I've heard all my life my mom would tell you, you better put a hat on, you better not go outside like that. You know, I mean, I've heard that stuff, so I believed it. Uh, even in like uh, sports, athletes, all my life, football, baseball, a little bit of basketball that I played, all of the time I t- was told, you better stretch and get ready whenever you play. But what we're told is stretching has absolutely no effect on the performance of an athlete, and it doesn't even prevent injuries thought this was really interesting. Uh, experts uh, revealed that stretching before a run can actually result in a 5% reduction of efficiency. Uh, Italian researchers in 2015 have studied cyclists and have confirmed that stretching is actually counterproductive to their ability to perform. Furthermore, there, uh, there's never been sufficient scientific evidence that pre-exercise stretching reduces injury risk. In all my life, I've heard that. Now, I tell you all that for a reason. History, athletics... Uh, um, uh, common sense, going outside, raising your kids. We've heard these things so many times that we believe it has to be the case. Same thing with spiritual things. Some people have heard so many times certain spiritual things that they believe they have to go true, uh, be true. And one of those things that they've heard is that good people go to heaven. This is a common belief. that uh, it, 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 It's wide. It's not just a Christian belief. It's all around in our culture, people believe that, that, that it's not Christians who go to heaven, but good Christians go to heaven. And it's not Baptists who go to heaven, but good Baptists go, go to heaven. And it's not Catholics who go to heaven, but good Catholics go to heaven. And, and not Jews who go to heaven, but good Jews go to heaven. And it doesn't matter if you're Buddhist, were you a good Buddhist? Uh, and, and so the, the litmus test and the common denominator that we have is, are you good or not? Now, this leads people to say things like this, especially those of us in church will say, you know, if anybody's going to make it, she'll make it. How come? She's a good lady. And, and, I mean, there's a good God in heaven, and you know that a good God in heaven, he's going to let good people in, and, man, that guy was good, so you know that he's going to get in. Now, most of us here, if you're Christian, you've been in church for a while, you know that that doesn't mesh good with Christian beliefs. And so we things like, say things like, well, you know, I know I'm not perfect, but... And by the way, you didn't have to tell me that. I already figured it out about you. You're not perfect. Neither am I. You know, you didn't have to tell your, anybody else that either. But, but deep down, there's some people, and probably some people here tonight, who believe that God's going to gather up all the good folks and take them to heaven. Now, you've got friends who believe that. Today, I was bombarded with people who said, man, I've got people all around me who believe that stuff. And, and I want to tell you, there's merits to this. I, I'm not going to try to hide that it makes some sense because it seems fair. You know, I mean, it absolutely seems fair that, that good people uh, are going to go to heaven. You know, it, it's only right to believe this, you know, because that's what we do in our home with our kids. You know, if you're good, I'll give you a sucker. And in my home when I was little, if you're bad, I'm going to give you a spanking. I don't think we ever bought a sucker in my house. But, we, but, you know, in our society, we have this kind of stuff, too. You know, if you're good, you obey the laws, things go well, you break the laws, things go bad. You know, even in the Bible, in the Old Testament, we kind of read in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, God says, you know, if you're good, I'll bless you, and if you're bad, I'll curse you. I mean, we see it. So we've kind of conditioned ourselves that this must be the way that people get to heaven. It, it also kind of makes sense because most people think they're okay. I mean, you know, the merit to this system is you can go out here and everybody likes you because most everybody thinks this way. Uh, there are not many people who would stand up and say, man, I'm really just a terrible person. There's a few people. 
Uh, but most people don't say it, and even if they were to say it, they don't think it in their heart. I, I was telling the church this morning, I've probably preached, I don't know, 300, 400 funerals in 25 years. And that's a bunch, you know, but I've done a bunch of funerals. And I've been to probably 1,000 total in my lifetime. And maybe three times I can remember in those 1,000 times going to a funeral, I had a person tell me or ask me, Preacher, do you think they're going to go to heaven? Preacher, do you think they're going to go to heaven? Even though Jesus said, Broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the gate that leads to heaven. Three, three, less than one-third of a percent of time, people have asked me, do you think they're going to go to heaven? But almost every time I go, somebody will say, Man, I, I bet they're up there dancing with Papaw. Or they're probably fishing in a little hole up there in heaven somewhere. Or, man, they're cheering on the cats now. You know, we hear that stuff all the time because people assume good people go to heaven. In most people's minds, there's only a few bad people, and those people are in the secluded places of jail. And, you know, those people are in another country, or they do really, really, really bad things. So for most of us, it kind of works to say good people go to heaven. Um, and, and I think, truthfully, it provides motivation for being good. You can kind of scare your kids with this. You know, you want to go to heaven. It's like getting a bowl of ice cream. You know, you better be good because you want to go to heaven. Um, and then even older adults do this. You know, they start going back to church when they get older because they know they're getting close to dying and they want to go to heaven. So I better be good and I better go to church. That's part of it. So I go to church and I'll be good and maybe I'll go to heaven when I die or I'll give away my stuff and I'll go to heaven when I die. And, and truthfully, it seems to... Uh, let's go ahead to the next one. I'm sorry, I didn't turn around. If you're a note taker, I don't want to leave you behind. And if you don't have notes, I'm going to leave you behind. All right, next we're about three behind. There we go. It provides motivation for being good. And then the next one. It seems consistent with the idea of a good God. I mean, really. It only makes sense that good people go to a good heaven to be with a good God. And it's not hard to see why so many people believe this. Because it's logical. And it's practical. And it's easy to buy into. And it makes so much sense that few, everybody believes it, like Napoleon Short, without ever investigating whether or not it's true. Um, but what you need to know is this is not even close to what Jesus taught. If you have your Bibles, Luke 18 is our text tonight. In Luke 18, Jesus confronted this idea in Luke 18, verse 9. He tells this parable, and the reason he tells it, notice it's to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. If you want to know how to read your Bible easier, just take the word righteous and put in the word good enough. Okay? He told this parable to confront some people who thought they were good enough in themselves. And, and because they thought they were good enough, they thought other people weren't. And they treated other people with contempt. And so he tells this parable, and he says in verse 10, he says, two guys go up to the temple to pray. Let's just for us say two guys go to church. And one guy is, is a Pharisee, a religious guy, a good guy, kept the rules, ate the right foods, dressed the right way, knew his Old Testament, good guy. The other guy was a tax collector, a swindler, a guy who made his living by taking advantage of other people. The Romans told him, you better collect taxes, and he padded his pocket by overcharging them taxes. It's the way the system worked. These two guys go to church to pray. One guy, the Pharisee, finds center stage. He's dressed in his robe. He stretches his arm out, and he begins to pray, and I'm sure in a voice loud enough for other people to hear. Oh, God. 
I am so glad you made me so good. I am glad that I'm not like other people. I'm not an extortioner. I don't take advantage of people. I'm not unjust. And I would never be an adulterer. And oh God, I'm really glad I'm not like that guy over there, the tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I have. And and, and I'm a good guy, Lord. Aren't you glad I'm praying to you? That's the picture. Then there's another guy who's standing way off. He doesn't even walk into the church because the roof might fall in on him. And he says... He doesn't even lift his eyes up and he beats on his chest and he says, oh God, would you be merciful to me? I'm a sinner. In this story, we find the majority opinion. The one guy who thinks if I'm really good, God has to listen to me. But we find what Jesus really thinks. He's going to ask later on, and I'll let you mull this over, which guy do you think God listened to? The guy who said he had it all together or the guy that was completely broken? God doesn't accept people into heaven because they're good, because there are none who are good. He accepts the humble, the desperate, and the broken. Now, tonight, I'm not trying to convince you that Christianity is true. I'll do that another time. What I am trying to tell you is that all your neighbors and all your friends and all the people that you work with who think that they're good enough to go to heaven They don't know what they're talking about. Because that's the society in which we live, really. Let's just face it. I'm a good person. I do good things. It's where everybody's at. Why does this not hold water? Why is this not true? Well, let me explain to you. The problems with the good enough theory is, number one, there is absolutely no clear standard. If good people go to heaven, we need to know what does it mean to be good. You know, whatever God you talk about, you know, the Christian God or any other God, doesn't he owe it to you to tell you what good is? You know, they owe us the standard. How good do I have to be? But the problem is we don't have a standard. Now, some people would say that the Bible is our standard. You know, well, the Bible's our standard. It tells us how good we have to be. In America, most people who hold this theory, they'd get out their Bible and they'd say, it's in there. You know, the standard, it's right in there. I'm trying to live by the good book, but if you believe the Bible is, you know, they believe the Bible is a a book of rules from a good God telling you how to be good so that you can be good enough to go to a good heaven where a good God lives. That's what they tell you. Here's the problem. If If the Bible is your standard by which you're measuring goodness, I want to tell you, you ain't there. You're not even close to there. The Bible, uh, tells you you're not good. Well, I, 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 okay, preacher, I'm not perfect, but I'm doing the best you can. The Bible says not good enough. Well, I'm trying really hard. Not good enough. Well, I'm better than most. Absolutely not good enough. Uh, and they, I think we got a crying baby. The nursery care is not good enough. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I thought they was listening to me preach or something. I didn't know what to do. Please hurry up. <laughs> uh, but if the Bible's your goal, you're never going to be this good. There's no verse in the Bible that says you can make it by your own. And you just got to get that through your heart. You are not there. You'll never be close. Listen to what the Bible says. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. We know that. Duh. All have sinned. But then it says you fall short of the glory of God. 
That means you're not where God is. You're not going to be where God is. You fall short. Let me just prove the point more. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, none is righteous. Remember what righteous means? Good. Good enough. None is good enough. Not even one. Verse 11 says, No one understands. Nobody even seeks God. Verse 12, All have turned aside. Every one of them together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Verse 20, listen to what he says. Therefore, no one will be declared good enough, righteous, in God's sight by the works of the law. No matter how hard you try, you'll never be considered good enough. And you might say, well, boy, I feel better. I'm glad I came. Well, I didn't tell you this to try to make you feel bad. I'm telling you this because this is what lots of people think, that God's going to let good people in. In the back of your mind, if you think that, you you go ahead and think it, but don't use the Bible as your excuse because the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't even get close to teaching this. Jesus didn't say this either. Jesus said in uh, Mark, he says, Why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God. And this is what Jesus says. Nobody's good. Now, some people would say that a person's conscience is their standard. Uh, and um, they, they would say that, that, go ahead to the next slide if you would, that, that's, that a person's conscience is the way that they evaluate you know, whether or not they're good enough or not. Now, before we go any farther, God has written laws on our heart. You know that. God's written stuff on our heart. I, we don't have to teach people you shouldn't kill people. We know you shouldn't kill people. We don't have to teach people you shouldn't commit adultery. We know you shouldn't do that. We don't have to tell people you shouldn't steal stuff. We know you shouldn't do that. We absolutely 100% know it. And people everywhere, Christian or not Christian, know this stuff because God's written it on our heart and we're without excuse. But even though we know some basic right and wrong, we have to admit that people can convince themselves to believe whatever they want to believe. Two armies can line up for battle and believe vastly different things, and both of them in their heart think they're right. True? Yeah. Nazi Germany years ago, they'd convinced themselves that God wanted them to exterminate the Jews and create a pure race, and in their heart, they had convinced themselves. Listen, your heart is not your best guide for truth because the Bible says that your heart is deceitful above all things. I can talk myself into whatever I want to believe. And you've done it, and I've done it. We know what's right, we know what's good, we know what's wrong compared to the Scripture, but we don't want to buy this, so what do we do? We start talking to this. And we start telling ourselves that we ought to do something other than what this says. And we've done it all our life. And people continue to do it, and they will continue to do it. In our country, hey, we're not beyond... You know, In our country years ago, we convinced ourselves that it was all right to treat black people like property. We said that was okay. Don't tell me that we can't fool our heart or convince our heart that we're right. Let me tell you that people of ISIS right now, right now, think that they're doing what's right. Killing people, raping people, plundering, tearing up history. They think they're doing what's right. How do we know who's right? Well, you just know what's right. It's common sense. We just know. It's obvious. Well, not to them. So how do we know we're on the right side of this? And truthfully, here's another thing you need to know. What you think's right right now isn't necessarily what was right when you were a kid. When I was 16 years old, there's some things I thought were right. And now that I have a 16-year-old, those things are wrong. <laughs> right? I mean, you know what I mean? Just wait for those of y'all who are having kids. You wait. I'm not going to be that type of parent. Oh, yes, you will. <laughs> 
Guarantee it. <laughs> Can I get a witness from the older crowd? Anyhow, <laughs> truthfully, if you believe good people go to heaven, and I want you to get this, you have no, no earthly idea how good you have to be because you have no clear standard. And then beyond that, I, I think next point up here, is we don't even know what percentage. Okay, let's say we even do know what good is, what right is, what wrong is. Well, what percentage of right do you have to be? Do you have to be 51%, you know, just in the majority? Or better than the majority? Or do you have to make like 70%? You know, is that what you have to do? We really have no idea. If we're being graded for how good we are, do some things count more than others? That's a fair question, isn't it? You know, like I hear people say all this, well, I never killed anybody. Okay, so all right, I get it now. Killing people counts worse than, by the way, though, if you look at the Ten Commandments, you read the Ten Commandments, honoring God's one through four. Five is honoring your parents. You don't even get to murder until way down in the list. You know, so, so for those of you who want to say stuff like that, just read your Bible. But anyhow, uh, you know, some people think big things count worse and just giving your kidney count more than like helping a little old lady across the street. You know, I mean, how, how does it work? Some of you must think this is the case. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, well, I'm not a thief, but I've never cheated on my wife. Or I'm not. Who decides which ones are important? You'd say, well, it's the Ten Commandments. You hit on it. It's the Ten Commandments. Well, if it's the Ten Commandments, listen to what James says. He says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all, accountable for it all. So... It's not like you can say, well, it's the Ten Commandments because every one of us here has broken at least one. And James says you broke one, you broke them all. Another question, at what age do you become accountable? You know, I mean, are you only accountable for your stuff after you turn seven, which is not in the Bible, or when you're 14 or 15 and your mind goes crazy, that's when you're, you know, or when you're, you know, uh, uh, 24 and you start figuring out that, you know, uh, when are you accountable? Or, or is it when you're two or three? I mean, have you ever noticed like two and three-year-olds, like there's this magic time frame where a kid goes from being cute to being a brat? <laughs> and parents, if you hadn't figured out what that age is, we have. But anyhow, <laughs> you know, it, it happens. We just cross over that line somewhere. You know, if you believe this, that you have to be good to get to heaven, if you're honest, you have no earthly idea whether or not you're going to heaven. Because you really don't know how good you have to be. You've made up the system in your mind that this is what's important to God. And if I ask you, how do you know if it's important or not, you would have to admit, I just don't know. I created this own reality in my mind, and that's what I'm going on. You're going to hinge your eternity on an I don't know? That's crazy. And you don't do this in any other area of your life. None. My daughter's take, taking college classes alongside her high school classes right now. We are taking them online, and they cost about $400. So every time I pay that, I go, <laughs> you know, every time we take this online class, and so we're taking four of them this year. It helps her get some more scholarship money and yada, yada, yada. But we're taking them, and, and she's got to make a certain grade, and her dad's, like, threatened her, I guess, because she is serious about it. She gets online. She looks immediately at the syllabus. She knows what's required. She knows when her tests are due. She knows the rubric for how her papers are going to be graded. She knows exactly what the tests are going to have and knows the study guide. She knows the stuff better than I know it, and I'm walking kind of alongside of her trying to help her out in these first few classes to learn these study habits. Imagine if we paid that $400 and we got online and the teacher said, you're going to have a pass or fail test, but I'm not going to tell you what's on it. 
and I'm not going to tell you when the test is going to be, and I'm not going to tell you how I'm going to grade the test that I'm going to give you. I mean, that would be frustrating, extremely frustrating. Or imagine you got a new job, and the boss said, hey, you're going to have a three-month evaluation, decide whether or not I want to keep you, but I'm not going to tell you how you're going to be evaluated. I mean, or imagine if you're going to run a race, and you're going to run this race, and we're going to, we're, the person's going to tell you, you know, you, we're going to run this race, but I'm not going to tell you the boundaries. I'm not going to tell you who you're competing against. I'm not going to tell you where the finish line is at. Just good luck. We wouldn't live for that in any other realm of our life, but this is the situation you face if you believe if you're good, you go to heaven. You're hinging your eternity on a reality that you have completely made up on your own. You have no idea why you believe that, except everybody believes it. And what ends up happening is, here's what we do. We decide what's really bad is stuff we don't do. And what's okay is the stuff we do. I listen to some people who confess like what's going on in their life, and I'm thinking, man, you're bad. And then I excuse my stuff. Well, everybody just has trouble with that. That's kind of how we live our lives. And we judge good people by ourselves. As much of a problem that people have with Christianity being an unjust system, and some people do, have you ever heard anybody say, well, that's not right, that only people who trust Jesus go to heaven? What about people over there? What about people who've never heard? Or what about this? And what about that? As much of a problem as people have with Christianity, I want to tell you, they should have a much bigger problem with the good people go to heaven theory. The teacher who wouldn't tell you what's on the test is not just. The employer who will give you no job description is not fair. The race coordinator who won't mark the boundaries is not just. This idea makes no sense, and the Bible doesn't teach it, and even worse, it makes Jesus Christ out to be a liar. Jesus taught that bad people go to heaven, not good people. Sinners go to heaven, not people who think they're good enough. The object of Jesus' harshest criticism were religious leaders, and their whole job description, this Pharisee, his whole job description is be good, eat good stuff because you've got to be good, wear good clothes because you've got to be good, do good religious rituals because you've got to be good, do, 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 be good, be good, be good, and yet Jesus said you're not good enough. Listen to this. I, I've got this verse, and I want to read a couple other verses for you. Listen to what he says in Matthew 5, verse 20. He says, I tell you, unless your righteousness, unless your goodness, got that? Unless your goodness exceeds, goes beyond, is better than that of the scribes or Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God, ever. You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a big deal, guys. Jesus said, if you trust you're good enough, you've got to be better than the people who think they're really, really good, or you won't get there. And then here's what he does. In Matthew, he, Matthew chapter 5, where he says this, he goes on to say, guys, you've heard that you shouldn't murder people, right? That's a standard. He said, I tell you, if you hate your brother, you're not good enough. And you've heard that you shouldn't commit adultery, but I tell you, men, if you even lust with your eyes, or women, you even lust with your eyes, you're not good enough. You've heard that you're supposed to love your neighbor, but I tell you, if you don't love your enemy, you're not good enough. And then he says at the end of Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And you might say, nobody can do that! And Jesus said, you're exactly right. Nobody can do it. Because nobody gets to heaven on how good they are. 
I love the book of Mark. My daughter's studying the book of Mark. And the book of Mark is all about Jesus being the Son of God. And throughout the whole book, that Jesus was calm the seas and the disciples asked the question, Who is this that even the winds obey him? Or he cast out the demon uh, of the Gerasenes and they asked, Who's this that even the demons obey him? And then he does all of these miracles and people say, Who could do something like this? And then it's not until the cross at the very end of Mark, last, next to last chapter, Mark 15, the, the, the centurion standing at the cross and he sees Jesus dying for our sins. And you know what he says? Truly this is the Son of God. It's at the cross that we realize what Jesus was really trying to do. Jesus wasn't here to be a good guy and show us how to live. Jesus was here to die for us so we could live. It took his death for our sin. He took our place. Jesus didn't believe. He did this because he didn't believe that good people go to heaven. He believed forgiven people go to heaven. And so that's what he did. Band, if y'all start coming on up. Back to the story in Luke 18. Listen to what it says. I tell you this, this man who stood off to the side and said, Lord, I'm nowhere near good enough, this man is the one who went home justified. For I tell you, everybody who thinks he's good enough will be broken. He'll be humbled. He'll be made to nothing. But everyone who humbles himself and says, Lord, I'm nowhere near good enough, he will be exalted. And you might say, that's not fair that bad people go to heaven. I want to tell you, Christianity is the most fair thing in the world because listen to this next verse. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That sounds fair. Everybody who asks the Lord can be saved. Everybody's welcome. Everybody can meet the requirement. And then one last verse, the one that you know well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever behaves really well and tries really hard will get into heaven. Of course, that's not true. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Guys, the message of Christianity is that we can't be good. Can't pull it off. We've proven it over and over. People who believe they'll go to heaven because they've earned it will not people who realize they can't are on their way. Isn't that the difference between the two guys? I pray that this church is filled with people who recognize the only way I can be saved is if God forgives me. Maybe here tonight you've never received the forgiveness of God. Uh, you've never asked Jesus to forgive you. Maybe in your own pride, you'd say, well, I'm not going to go forward. I'm not going to get baptized. I'm not going to do any of that because I, I'm too proud to do that. Pride will keep men from heaven. I pray it doesn't keep anyone in here from it. Maybe here tonight, you've never given your heart to Christ. What I'm going to ask you to do is when we stand and sing in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come and uh, and and. and Take me by the hand, not because I'm the gatekeeper, but just your acknowledging, I want Jesus to save me. Um, and I'll tell you how Jesus saved me. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never been baptized and you want to make a commitment to be baptized. What I'd like for you to do is come forward and just say, you know, I want to commit my life to be baptized. I believe, but I've never been baptized.
want to be a part of this church and be baptized. Maybe here tonight you just want to come to the altar and say, Lord, forgive me that I've tried to pull this off by being good because deep down, Lord, I know you don't love me because of how good I am because I'm not good deep down. You love me because I trust you. Maybe you want to come to the altar and just pray. Or maybe you want to come and take uh, communion tonight. You're welcome to come and take. And you know, when we take the Lord's Supper, it's a symbolically saying, I need Jesus' forgiveness. He's already forgiven you if you've asked, but you're proclaiming, He's the only way I'm forgiven. We also give during this time of uh, invitation. You're welcome to come give if you'd like. But if God speaks to you as we stand together and sing, won't you come? Let's stand. Great is your faithfulness, O God. You wrestle with the sinner's heart. You lead us by still waters into mercy. And nothing can keep us apart. So So oh. 